WXLQ, Bristol, Vermont, and WNYV, Whitehall, Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Wednesday, January 31st. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. A new law in New York expands and updates the definition of what constitutes the crime of rape to include other forms of sexual violence. Today is about the survivors. It's about calling out violent, horrific acts for what they are. So survivors can reclaim their power and dignity. We'll visit the Ogdensburg Neighborhood Center and meet the director who wants to expand it beyond a food pantry to a warm place to relax. And season two of NCPR's Storytelling Podcast drops today. I don't know if you know anything about roller derby. I did not. It's a cross between figure skating and professional wrestling. (laughs) Everybody on the team is in their late 20s, early 30s. My wife has her AARP card, so... We'll catch up with the one and only host, Ethan Shanty. All of that's coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Mountain Orthotic and Prosthetic Services, a full-service practice committed to providing care for patients of all ages with offices in Lake Placid, Plattsburgh, and Malone. Details and referrals at mountainonp.com. And by Blue Seed Studios, Saranac Lake, promoting community involvement in the arts on the web at blucstudios.org. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. Governor Kathy Hochul has signed into law a new measure that updates and expands the definition of the crime of rape. From Albany, Karen DeWitt has more. Governor Hochul says the bill, known as the Rape is Rape Act, modernizes what constitutes rape to include various forms of sexual violence and assault beyond the original legal definition of vaginal penetration. Hochul says the acts are what would commonly be accepted as rape, but until now have fallen outside of the narrow legal definition. Today is about the survivors. It's about aligning the letter of the law with the pain in their hearts. It's about calling out violent, horrific acts for what they are so survivors can reclaim their power and dignity. It's about backing them with the full force of our justice system so those who commit rape are charged accordingly. The new law comes just days after former President Donald Trump was ordered to pay $83.3 million to journalist and author E. Jean Carroll following a civil case where a jury determined that the former president sexually abused and then defamed her. Carroll had claimed that Trump raped her, but under New York's former law, the assault did not fit the definition of rape. I want to take a moment to recognize E. Jean Carroll for her courageous efforts to make sure justice was done. 
and to bring a case against the former president whose defamatory and disgusting statements exacerbated a horrific situation. The legislature approved the measure in 2023. In recent weeks, Hochul staff worked with the Senate and Assembly, as well as the state's district attorneys, to refine the details of the bill in what's known as a chapter amendment. Senate sponsor Brad Hoylman Siegel says the broader definition offers greater recourse for LGBTQ plus victims of sexual violence who were prevented from seeking justice under the old heteronormative definition of rape. Studies have shown that nearly half of transgender people in this country are sexually assaulted, nearly half, at some point in their lives. The numbers are similar for bisexual women and gay men. But before today, many of those assaults wouldn't be able to be classified as rape in New York State if the genitalia of the attacker and the victim didn't exactly line up with that that was in our old legal language. Assembly sponsor Catalina Cruz, who is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, says victims faced additional suffering under the old version of the law. For decades... Survivors who already struggled to come to terms with what has happened to them have been told that the horrible criminal acts committed against them are now statutorily categorized as rape. This is because our state's current law is enshrined in outdated gendered notions of rape. Hochul and supporters say they hope the new law represents a societal shift of how violent sexual crimes are viewed. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. Some North Country union laborers will have nearly $16 million recovered to their retirement funds, according to Senator Chuck Schumer. More than 500 construction workers were at risk of losing their retirement packages after their union's pension fund took a big hit after the 2008 financial crisis. The $16 million comes from the Federal American Rescue Plan and will benefit workers in Jefferson, Lewis, St. Lawrence, and Franklin counties. The federal money ensures that the pension funds will remain viable until 2051. The New York Farm Bureau is laying out its priorities for this year's legislative session. President David Fisher says their first priority is maintaining funding for agriculture programs in the state. This includes significant funding for ag programs in the Environmental Protection Fund that will help with water quality. There's also money budgeted to support workforce development and farm safety, including increased funding for New York Center for Ag Medicine and Health. And there's new funding to help modernize dairy infrastructure. Another thing they'll be watching for is the proposed Extended Producer Responsibility Act. It would make companies responsible for where their packaging ends up and requires producers to figure out how to use more recycled or reusable product packaging. New York Farm Bureau's policy director Jeff Williams says farms fall under the bill based on the current language. And while it makes sense for big retail companies to take on this responsibility, he says it would burden farms. The eligibility requirements are only $1 million in gross income, and even some of the smallest farms would make that. And we're thinking about our wineries, for example, who then would be in charge of somehow returning glass to the winery from the wine bottles. It also impacts our dairy processors. Uh, And there's some very real FDA regulations to speak to packaging that this legislation doesn't contemplate. The group is also concerned about further efforts to electrify farm equipment as the state pursues its climate goals. They said they like to see better affordability and battery storage, along with fast and easy charging before mandates are put in place. 
You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's eight minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandrasky. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll preview the new season of NCPR's storytelling podcast, The Howl Podcast. That's coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by Tim Elifritz in Johnsburg. Northern Light is supported by St. Lawrence Nurseries, Potsdam, accepting orders now through April 12th for cold, hardy fruit and nut trees. Details at slngrow.com. And by Fort Dela Presentation, presenting the reenactment of the Battle of Ogdensburg, February 17th and 18th at 1.30 p.m. Open to the public. Details at fort1749.org. About 12% of people in the North Country live below the federal poverty line. Poverty rates are highest in Franklin County, Jefferson, and St. Lawrence counties, where almost one in four kids is food insecure. The St. Lawrence County Community Development Program runs six local neighborhood centers with a primary goal of addressing hunger. But what exactly is a neighborhood center? What does it do? Lucy Grinden went to find out. The main reason people go to a neighborhood center is to get groceries. In Ogdensburg, there used to be two food banks with regular weekly hours. The Salvation Army one shut down in October. So now we're like it for a food pantry. Tina Keller is director of the Ogdensburg Neighborhood Center. Her phone rings all day long with people calling to make their monthly appointments. And sometimes people show up without an appointment. Hi. Uh, is there any possible way we can get in today? There's, there's not, because I'm booked for right up until like, yeah, right up until six. Oh wow! Okay. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Ogdensburg Neighborhood Center. Today, Keller's the only one working here, and she's barely had a chance to sit down. When clients arrive, she walks them into the main storeroom. Wow! Isn't it nice? So much better. The center relocated a few weeks ago to have more space. There's a whole wall of fridges and freezers, plus shelves of canned and bagged goods. Randy Ford from Ogdensburg walks in and starts browsing. Uh, the potato flakes I could use. How many? Two. Yep. Syrup. One, two. Uh, two. Two. Ford says the neighborhood center helps him get what his family needs. What I hope to find first and foremost is something the kids will eat. <laughs> I have one picky kid, which is tough, and the other one will pretty much eat anything. So, so what are the things that the pickier kid likes? Cereal, for one. He will eat cereal all day, every day, if he could, especially Fruity Pebbles. Oh, my God, that kid, that kid would eat him every meal of the day. <laughs> the center has three food categories, fruits and vegetables, grains, and proteins. Clients get a certain number of items from each one, depending on household size. 
Um, so you get 19 points of your meat or dairy. And I do have beef, I have pork, I have fish fillets, I have fish sticks, I have bologna, I have... Okay, so we'll do, I'll do bologna. My little one loves bologna. Ford says he's able to save a lot of money by coming here. I'd say at least 100, 100, 200 bucks. Yeah. And that helps a lot when you need it, that's for sure. And yeah. like I said, having kids, you learn that you need to have what you need. <laughs> if it's just me by myself and adult, you know, I can get by with anything. But when you have kids, I got I to gotta do things, certain special things that they need, you know. That's the tricky part. He leaves with full grocery bags, including a few boxes of cereal. St. Lawrence County's neighborhood centers receive federal and state funding to order food from the Food Bank of Central New York. Grocery stores also donate some. But there's a lot more than just food here. Keller also gives away children's books, laundry detergent, and personal hygiene supplies, even kitchen tools. Do you need a can opener? Oh, sure. Canned goods don't do you any good with a can opener. Keller also acts as a kind of guide to public assistance for the community. She's always asking people if they're enrolled in programs like SNAP, formerly known as food stamps, HEAP for heating discounts, and temporary assistance. If they aren't enrolled, she'll fax in their paperwork for free to get them signed up. People can visit their local center to get food once a month. They also get five emergency food benefits per year. There are income limits for receiving assistance, but Keller says the centers are really there to help anyone who needs it. We are not the food police. We're not going to let anybody go hungry. We don't demand proof unless something's like really very suspicious. Last year, Keller says they served 3,600 people just in Ogdensburg. Vince Hall is the chief government relations officer for Feeding America, a national nonprofit network of hundreds of food banks. He says food insecurity has not gone down as the pandemic has subsided. Shockingly, uh, it is getting worse. And about 40% of the families that came to food banks during the pandemic were coming for the first time. And many of those families have found it very difficult to stop coming. He says that's because wages have not been keeping up with inflation. And it's particularly difficult for people in rural places. Wages are lower on average. There are also fewer cheap grocery stores, and lots of people don't have consistent transportation. They simply can't afford everything that is necessary to keep their household going for a month without support from the food bank. Higher demand is why Tina Keller in Ogdensburg started asking people to make appointments in the first place. She had to manage demand to give people the time and space to pick out what they need. But she says she also wants the neighborhood center to be more of a social space for the community. I'd really like to have just a table where they can play cards or put a puzzle together or read a book or socialize over a cup of coffee and be warm. Ogdensburg does have a nighttime shelter, but not a daytime warming center. Sometimes people stop in at the neighborhood center just to talk and end up staying for half an hour or more. Keller set up a stand by the front door with free hot coffee, but she thinks the center can do more. In the future, she also wants to offer access to laundry machines and a shower. Lucy Grindon, North Country Public Radio, Ogdensburg.
longtime journalist in the Burlington area is retiring after more than four decades in the business. Stuart Ledbetter will retire from NBC5 next month. He currently anchors the 530 show on weekdays and hosts a weekly public affairs show. Ledbetter started as a reporter at the station in the 1980s and later served as the station's news director. Ledbetter was inducted into the Vermont Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame in 2019. He also won multiple state, regional, and one national award for his reporting. Ledbetter's last broadcast will be next Friday. A new vending machine in Tupper Lake provides access to free opioid overdose reversal medication. Franklin County Public Health's harm reduction kiosk is on the side deck of a community and recovery center in Tupper. It dispenses free Narcan kits and fentanyl and xylazine test strips. Narcan is a nasal spray that can reverse an opioid overdose. The test strips can defe- uh, detect if fentanyl or xylazine are present in drugs. The health department says it can help drug users make an informed decision before use. The machine is open 24-7 and is anonymous. Users only need to provide the year they were born and their zip code. County officials say access to these supplies will save lives. This is the second harm reduction kiosk in Franklin County. The first is located in the Saranac Lake Police Department's main lobby. A ski jumper from Lake Placid made history at the Ski Flying World Championships in Austria last weekend. The Adirondack Daily Enterprise reports that 18-year-old Tate Franz became the first American to finish in the top 20 at the championship level in 30 years. Franz started off strong with a 16th place finish on Friday. He landed in 20th place overall after the third round of competition on Sunday. He was also the only member of the USA team who qualified for all three rounds. France was has only been competing in ski jumping since last year. Before that, he was a member of the men's junior national Nordic team. Way to go, Tate. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, we'll check out the new season of NCPR's podcast featuring live storytelling from your neighbors. After that, it's Bird Note. After the show, the, bir- the bizarre beaks of some baby birds. That's just ahead at 842. At first, Todd, is a look at the weather for us. Clouds in the forecast the next few days and maybe a wintry mix moving into the region tonight. Highs this afternoon, mid to upper 30s, according to the Weather Service. And uh, then some a mix of some sleet, some snow possible overnight tonight and throughout the day tomorrow. Friday, light snow showers, clearing skies uh, by the weekend with the Weather Service predicting partly sunny skies on Saturday. Right now in Canton, we have clouds. 28 degrees. 
People have been telling true five-minute stories live on stages all over the North Country at the Howell Story Slams. Last year, NCPR launched the Howell Podcast, a digital version of these Story Slams. Host Ethan Shanty also incorporates a personal essay that ties into the theme. The first season was downloaded tens of thousands of times and saw new listeners discovering, discovering NCPR for the first time. And its second season launches today, and we are joined by the show's host, Ethan Shanty, good morning. Hi, Monica. <laughs> so is there anything new this season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I realized pretty early in the process is that we'd only been recording our Grand Slams, and obviously, you know, those are like the best of the best. They're, they're the winners of our regional story slams. Uh, sometimes, though, when I would go to a regional story slam, my favorite storyteller wouldn't win, and I'd be a little bit bummed out about it. So mm. I told our digital team that we should start recording all of our events so that way we can uh, get even more stories uh, and bring them to our podcast audience. Is there one of those regional Story Slam stories that you're excited about? Yeah, a couple actually. Uh, this year was the first time I'd actually gotten up on stage to tell a story, uh, and that was at the 1844 house in Potsdam. One of the storytellers there uh, was Silas Smith, who's been to our Grand Slams in the past. He got up on stage and he told us about his mom was often introducing the family to new ways to stay healthy, but one particular trend backfired a little bit. It was uh, a really brief story, but it kind of brought the house down, and I was really, really excited that we were able to record it. Should we play a clip of it? Yeah, then? sure. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, Silas Smith live at the 1844 44 house in Potsdam at one of our regional story slams. Growing up, you know, my mom, wonderful woman, great lady. I love her so much. She raised, you know, my brother, my sister and I very well. And she was a nurse. She was a nursing instructor. So growing up, she would always be giving us like health tips and, and good ideas to, you know, invest in us and ensure that we were doing well. And um, one day, you know, she comes downstairs and we're having breakfast in the, in the, the kitchen and she's like, uh, okay, new thing. We're doing salt water nasal sprays. She's like, you're going to do it, okay? And it's, getting added to the, it's getting added to the chart. You wash your hands, you brush your teeth, you floss, you shoot salt water in your nose, okay? It's just going to happen. She leaves, we're like, okay. And the hour of doom arrived. My brother, my father, and I were standing at attention like soldiers about to storm Normandy Beach. We're just like standing there. My mom's walking up and down like Brad Pitt in uh, Inglorious Bastard. She's like, everyone in my company will give me a saltine spray. And we're just standing there like looking at her. That was Silas Smith live at the 1844 house in Potsdam. His, his story is part of a special episode of this season of the Howl Podcast when we're actually featuring two stories instead of one. Well, that's right. Normally the podcast just features one story per episode, but you're trying something different this time. Yeah, yeah. As I was going through our catalog, um, I realized that there were quite a few of those uh, stories that touched on a similar subject, and I just couldn't choose a favorite to highlight for the episode. And because it's a podcast, you can kind of do whatever you want. Uh, so I, I decided to, to feature a few. And we've got another episode featuring a couple of stories about memories made in cars uh, and that episode with Silas Smith uh, uh, is paired with another story about some bad ideas and of course I share a, a bad idea story of mine too. Are you comfortable <laughs> sharing that bad idea with us right now? Um, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's not too bad. It's, uh, you know, I shared a lot of my bad ideas and decisions I made during season one. Um, so this time I thought it would be fun to share my younger brother's story. I got his permission though. Um, and uh, in high school he broke his foot in gym class and he was fitted with a cast. And then with about a month left before it got removed, he got the cast wet and it started to like really reek. But being the stubborn person that he was, he decided to just wrap it up in these vanilla scented garbage bags, <laughs> which just made things worse. And now he's like dragging around this vanilla scented like dead skunk smelling <laughs> foot around high school every day. <laughs> 
Okay, well, hopefully nobody was eating breakfast. Side note, you just told your brother's story, not your own embarrassing well, story. <laughs> I'll share my own embarrassing story sure, sure. on the podcast, I promise. Right on, right on. Oh, gosh. But yes, hopefully nobody was eating breakfast when they heard that. Yep. So the new season is launching today, uh, and our season opener is Rick Chandler. Rick and his wife uh, found themselves with an empty nest after their youngest son went off to college. And they were both wondering what their next 20 or 30 years were going to bring. What Rick wasn't expecting was that his wife would join a roller derby team. I don't know if you know anything about roller derby. I did not. It's a cross between figure skating and professional wrestling. (laughs) Everybody on the team is in their late 20s, early 30s. My wife has her AARP card, so I didn't know what to think. She told me that we had led separate lives, so she wasn't asking me. She was telling me, and I didn't know what to think. I mean, I had had a crush on a rugby player named Bailey a long time ago, but I didn't, I didn't know about being married to a, a roller derby chick. Well, September came, and she started practice. She went to her first practice on a Sunday, three hours, and when she came back, she crawled into the house and had two words to say, everything hurts. I didn't know if she'd stick with it, but on Tuesday, when I came home from work, there was a note, at practice. And she changed almost immediately. Now, instead of talking about what the kids had done wrong, what I had done wrong, what was wrong with their job, what was wrong with the house, she talked about roller derby. That was Rick Chandler, the first storyteller of this second season of the Howl podcast from NCPR. We've been joined this morning by Ethan Shanty, host of the podcast. Ethan, where can people find the show? Uh, People can get the show wherever they get their podcasts, uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Plus, you can follow the show and find out when we're going to be telling stories in your hometown by visiting ncpr.org slash Howl. Beautiful. I can't wait to listen. Thanks, Monica. (laughs) Thanks for coming on today. Of course. Music there with the Caramelo Trio. That was Beth Robinson on the cello. They're out of Potsdam. And the time coming up now on 28 minutes past 8. This is Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. 
And I'm Monica Sandresky. So many things to enjoy in the North Country. Uh, coming up, uh, starting on Friday, February 2nd, NCPR is media sponsor for the Winter Carnival Music Festival at the Waterhole in Saranac Lake. It runs February 2nd through the 11th. The concert series features 14 bands with genre-spanning performances, including soul, funk, folk, bluegrass, and a tribute to the Tragically Hip. You can find tickets and a full list of performers uh, at ncpr.org slash calendar. Put this on your calendar for February. Uprooted will be playing at Pickens Hall in Hubleton Saturday, February 10th at 7 p.m. A fun evening of local music. Uh, Uprooted is Camilla Amirati. On banjo, Catherine Janke on bass, Rosemary Phillips on mandolin, mm. Lenore Vanderzee on guitar, vocal harmonies and Americana style music, original songs and covers from the eighties. That's the nineteen eighties to the present, and that's uh, that's the group Uprooted at Historic Pickens Hall in Hubleton coming up on February tenth. Also, don't forget to check out the current exhibit at the Tawny Center in Canton, Creative Alchemy, Adirondack Fragrance and Flavor Farm Exhibit. This exhibition invites you to immerse yourself in a world of natural fragrance while learning about the history of Adirondack Fragrance Farm. Uh, You can find out more at tawny.org. And just in time for Valentine's Day, friends of the Badenhausen Public Library in Brazier Falls holding a used book sale. The first of two in February, one coming up on Saturday, February 3rd, from 9 to 1 at the Battenhausen Library, right on Main Street in Brazier Falls. And the genre, keeping with uh, the Valentine's Day holiday, is romance. That's coming up at the Battenhausen Public Library, right in downtown Brazier Falls, on Saturday, February 3rd, 9 to 1. That's Northern Lights. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandresky. Be well.